And, uh, you know, feel free to take notes if you want. But if you're kind of laid back and you don't want to scribble a bunch of stuff down, we've got some resources on the Ice Age. And uh, these resources, um, both of them explain the Ice Age from a biblical perspective. And the one on the right, the booklet, deals with the ice cores. And the reason that's kind of a big deal is a lot of secular scientists think the ice cores are an unanswerable argument for an old earth. In fact, Bill Nye, the science guy, thinks that, okay? So if you, the one on, it's, these aren't necessarily fun reads, okay? But if you want ammo to refute this claim, the one on the right is a good source. The one on the le left is a DVD. It's an earlier version of this talk. And just to sort of give you an idea, I gave this talk uh, at a church not too far from Dallas, oh, maybe a few years ago, and it was kind of funny. We Afterwards, we got some feedback. Somebody sent us a letter or an email telling, me, uh, telling us that he was a Christian, and he had a friend who was a, also a Christian who came to the talk, but his friend was very skeptical of recent creation. So he was kind of like on the front row, kind of like doing like this, you know. Uh, but he apparently that talk on the dvd changed his mind okay so it, it's a little bit little maybe a little technical but it's it's got some meat to it and it's enough that it's i think it challenges some people so both of these are really good resources if you want to learn more about the ice age okay so was there an ice age uh you know with today uh the the ice sheets cover about 10 percent of earth's land surface but there's good evidence that at some time in the past, they covered about 30% of the Earth's surface. Uh, so this, but this is a question that a lot of Christians have. Was there an ice age? You know, if there was one, how does it fit into the Bible? Uh, secular scientists tell, tell us there were many ice ages. What about that? Uh, and secular scientists, you, you listen to them, you get the impression they understand what causes ice ages? They claim there were ice ages over millions of years. If they really do understand what causes an ice age, isn't that a strong argument for an old earth? Uh, what about the woolly mammoths? People wonder about the woolly mammoths. And do the deep ice cores prove uh, an old earth? Do they prove millions of years? Well, when you have this discussion about an ice age, you will routinely hear Secular scientists talk about hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years. And so people ask, hey, is the Bible wrong? Is the Bible giving us a wrong account of Earth history? Well, no, it's not. And we're going to see why uh, in this discussion. But let me just say there is strong evidence for an ice age. Uh, when glaciers um, melt back, they leave behind certain geological features. And we see these same geological features at lower latitudes where today there are no ice sheets. Okay, so this is strong geological evidence that these ice sheets, these glaciers, went down to lower elevations and latitudes than they do today. Uh, but this conclusion of millions of years is not demanded by the evidence. And these conclusions are coming from a philosophy called uniformitarianism uh, that's summarized by the motto that the present is the key to the past. So uniformitarians would say that since erosion occurs slowly today, it's always occurred slowly. And they would claim that the Grand Canyon was slowly carved out over many millions of years. Uh, if you're a uniformitarian, you know, today the planets are going around the sun like clockwork. 
uh, they would claim uh, that it that our solar system formed from a cloud of gas and dust billions of years ago. And they would argue that the planets have been doing what they've been doing for billions of years. Um, today, s sediments are slowly accumulating on the seafloor. If you're an, a uniformitarian, you would say that's always been the case. Uh, today, snow and ice is accumulating relatively slowly uh, in Greenland and Antarctica. If you're a uniformitarian, you would say that's always been the case because the present is the key to the past. Now, you need to understand that for uniformitarians, special creation and the Genesis flood are not on the table for discussion. Those are, they, those are, they're not willing to consider that. And the Apostle Peter told us in his second epistle that there would come in the last days scoffers who hold to this philosophy. And Peter wrote, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That is uniformitarianism. That is a description of a uniformitarian philosophy. Now, what I want to impress upon you this morning is that a belief in millions of years is holding back secular scientists. Christians can make better sense of the scientific evidence by simply taking the Bible seriously. And we're going to, I'm going to show you how we can make sense of an ice age. Now, the first point that I want to make is that uniformitarian or secular ice age explanations don't work. Okay, now they've come up with dozens of theories over the years. And yet, U.S. News and World Report back in 1997 said this is one of the great mysteries of science. Um, there's a lot about it they don't really understand, and, and things have not changed that much since 1997. This is still something they don't understand. Now, you might think, just kind of naively, that if you want an ice age, all you need is really cold temperatures, right? I mean, isn't, the, isn't that all you need for an ice age? It turns out that doesn't work, because when you have really cold temperatures, you actually have less snowfall. Because the moisture in the air depends on temperature, and the colder it is, the less moisture there is in the atmosphere. So you're actually going to get less snow when it's really cold. And this is one of the things that makes it really hard for secular scientists to explain an ice age. Now, they, like I said, they've got dozens of theories. The one that is popular right now is called the Milankovitch. Okay, I know that's a mouthful, but that's the guy's name. Milankovitch or astronomical theory. They call it the astronomical theory because it's based on Earth's astronomical motions. And so if you believe the solar system is billions of years old, you can, you know, you can run, you know, the Earth, there, there are these subtle changes in Earth's orbital and rotational motions. The tilt of the axis today is about 23 and a half degrees, but it's varying, okay? It's changing a little bit slowly over time. The shape of the Earth's orbit around the sun changes a little bit. So there's sometimes where it's a little more circular, other times when it's a little less circular. And the axis is actually wobbling, okay, like a top. And because of those changes, now again, these changes are very slow. If you're a creationist, you wouldn't even be worried about this because over 6,000 years, you don't really expect this to do much. But if you're an evolutionist and you believe the solar system is billions of years old, you think that you can run those calculations backwards hundreds of thousands and even millions of years into the past. Well, as a result of those changes, 
it changes the way the sunlight falls on the earth. So they think that there were times in the prehistoric past where you had uh, the, the sunlight was varying both with season and latitude. And so they think there were some times in the prehistoric past where there was less summer sunlight hitting these northern ice sheets. And they think because it was you were getting a little less sunlight, the ice sheets were able to grow and you got an ice age. And at other times, you're getting more sunlight hitting those ice sheets. So the ice sheets melt and you have a warm period, what they would call an interglacial. Okay, so that is this Milankovitch theory in a nutshell. Now, there's lots of problems with it. One of the biggest problems is that you can calculate how big these changes in sunlight would be, and they're very tiny. Okay, it's, it, and it doesn't seem possible that those changes in sunlight by themselves could actually cause an ice age. So you need something else to amplify uh, those changes in sunlight. And this is actually, as we're going to see, helping to contribute to alarmism over climate change. Okay, this Milankovitch theory is actually making a contribution to a concern over global warming. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But that's one of the big problems. Okay, how do you amplify those small changes in sunlight? There's also a bunch of stuff about the theory that just doesn't make sense. There's all these mysteries and paradoxes with the theory. If you read a textbook on this, that you know, there's a bunch of them. A bunch of things that just don't make any sense. For instance... Uh, they would claim that for the last million years, you've had these, uh, actually that's a typo, that should be ice age cycles that were about 100,000 years long. And they think the ice ages were about 80,000 years long and the warm periods were 20,000 years long. Well, it turns out there's a cycle in Earth's orbit that's kind of around 100,000 years. And at first glance, that would seem to be an argument for this theory. Well, the problem is the changes in sunlight due to that cycle or the smallest. So it's like, well, okay, why would the climate be responding to the weakest of those, those changes in sunlight? Uh, also, there's an iconic argument for this, this theory that is no longer valid. And the reason that most secular scientists believe this theory is because of a paper that was published in the journal Science in 1976 called The Pacemaker of the Ice Ages. And this is a really famous paper. It is so important to secular scientists that back in 2016, the, the journals Nature and Science, really the two most prestigious journals on the planet, ran articles commemorating the 40th anniversary of this paper. So, so what did these secular scientists do? Well, they, they, you know, sometimes they will drill down into the ocean floor and they will pull up these, these cores, these sediment cores, and sometimes they can make chemical measurements in those cores and they think those chemical measurements are telling a story about climate change over hundreds of thousands of years. Well, it turns out that when they did their calculations, they got a story that agreed very well with this astronomical theory. But it turns out that there was an age assignment that was very important to their calculations. And at the time, uh, they were using an age of 700,000 years. Okay, now... I, I, it, it, this was the age they assigned to the most recent flip of the Earth's magnetic field. Now, we think these reversals or flips of the Earth's magnetic field where the North and South Poles swapped places, we think that was started by the flood. Okay, so we think this was just a few thousand years ago, but they said the most recent of these happened 700,000 years ago. 
Obviously, we think that age is wildly inflated. But here's what's interesting. Over 25 years ago, secular scientists revised that age to 780,000 years. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it's enough to mess up those results. And they never went back to see what those, that change would do. Or if they did, they never published them. Okay, so let me just, we're not going to get real technical here. Okay, but the, just to illustrate uh, what happens if you do this, this is where you use the first age assignment. And you see the vertical lines on the graph. The vertical lines on the graph represent the numbers coming from the astronomical theory. Okay, Though those are the, it's the frequencies or the cycle lengths uh, of these orbital motions. Now the peaks, those are the cycle lengths or frequencies coming from the seafloor sediments, okay? Now, you'll see that in this graph, the peaks are lining up with the vertical lines, okay? And that's an argument that the Milankovitch theory is correct because the numbers you're getting from the seafloor sediments are agreeing with the numbers coming from the astronomy. Well, there was this crazy creationist in Dallas who said, hey, I wonder what would happen if we were to do redo these calculations taking into account their change, okay? And as you can see here on the right, it messes it up. Two of those peaks are no longer lining up with those vertical lines. Okay, and the one that's right here could easily be a fluke, a statistical fluke. So basically, they shot themselves in the foot. They undermined their own argument by making that change. And so this paper has been invalid for about 26 years now. Now, if you'd like to learn more about this, uh, we, you can read about it on our website. We've got a series of articles called Milankovitch Meltdown. I came up with that title myself. I was very proud of it, okay? Uh, but you can learn about this. Now, now, I will tell you this. They have since come out with a paper that it looks to me is an attempt to prop up this earlier paper. Now, I'm not very impressed with it, and I have found basically smoking gun evidence that the reason they did this paper was because they knew that their evidence for the theory was weak. Okay, so this is kind of an attempt to sort of discreetly prop it up. I'm not very impressed with it, and I, Lord willing, I'm going to be writing about this more in, in, in coming months. But basically, this iconic argument is invalid. Furthermore, they keep changing their story. For about 60 years, they, were, they said there were four ice ages within the last two million years, what they call Pleistocene ice ages. And that was supposed to be gospel truth for about 60 years. Well, in around 1992, they said, well, no, there were about 30 of these ice ages. And in the, in the mid-2007, okay, now they're saying there's more than 50, okay? So, but here's the crazy thing. They, at the time they were telling that particular story, they told you there was all this evidence that that story was right, okay? All the evidence confirmed all three of those stories, okay? Well, if you've confirmed all three stories, you really haven't confirmed any of them, have you? Okay, why should you believe any of them? I so say they keep changing their story, but they expect us to accept the story even though they're going to change it in a few years. Okay, woe unto you if you don't believe the story they're telling even though they're going to change it in just a few years. So these explanations don't work. By the way, remember I talked about how the Milankovitch theory is contributing to climate change alarmism? Why is that? Well, remember, they think they know that this theory is correct. But they also know that these changes in sunlight are too small to be the sole causes of an, cause of an ice age. So they think 
there's got to be something that can amplify that effect to, to bring about major climate change. Anybody want to take a wild guess at what that something is? I'll give you a hint. Its initials are carbon dioxide. Okay, they think carbon dioxide is amplifying it. And furthermore, they think that other things that could keep the warming from getting out of control, they think, oh, it can't be really be doing anything because we know the Milankovitch theory is true. So basically, this Milankovitch theory is making a big contribution to this idea that carbon dioxide is potentially dangerous. Okay? Uh, now, the second point I want to make is there was only one ice age, not many, like the secular scientists claim, and it happened recently. Now, remember, we, we said that today they're claiming there were 50 ice ages in the last two and a half million years. Now, this is not based on geology. Okay, you do see some of these glacial features on the surface, but that's not where this claim is coming from because if, even if you believe there were multiple ice ages, the glaciers are going to destroy the evidence of previous ice ages. You know, they're going to pulverize all the stuff that was already there. So this claim isn't come from geology. Where is it coming from? Well, there's only strong evidence for one ice age. This, this story about 50 ice ages is coming from the seafloor sediments. Okay? Once they convinced themselves that the Milankovitch theory was correct, they started using it to assign ages to other sediment cores. And what they did was they constructed this giant composite using 57 sediment cores. And when you stick them all together and you look at the part that is supposed to be 2.6 million years old or less, there are 50 of these wiggle cycles. Ergo, there were 50 ice ages. That's it. <laughs> That's their evidence that there were 50 ice ages. Now, I'm not going to wait for you to count all these, okay? But trust me, there's about 50 right there. Okay? That's where this story is coming from. It's not even based on geology. It's based on a very doubtful interpretation of numbers coming from those seafloor sediments. Also, when we look at these glacial features, there's not much evidence of erosion. And, of course, that's consistent with a recent ice age. And even the evolutionists would admit that the most recent ice age occurred just a few thousand years ago, maybe 10,000 years ago. Uh, we think that age is a little bit inflated, but, but needless to say, the only ice age, there was just one, happened recently in Earth history. And we, our best estimate is that it lasted about 700 years. Okay, and the third point, and we want to spend some time on this, is that the Bible explains this ice age. Now, we've talked about why the other secular explanation doesn't work. So, if you did want to have an ice age, what would you need? Basically, if I had to give you a one-sentence requirement, you need to keep snow and ice from melting keep it from melting for, for many consecutive summers. Because the idea is normally when you have snow and ice, it melts in the summer, right? But let's say you have a bunch of snow and ice one winter and that for some reason it does not melt during the summer. The next winter you get more snow and ice, okay? And if that doesn't melt the following summer, the next winter you get still more snow and ice. So you're going to get these thick ice sheets building up. So really, what you need for an ice age is you've got to keep the snow and ice from melting for many consecutive summers. And you need two things to make that happen. You need cool, cold summers, right? That makes sense. You've got to keep the snow from melting. But you also need heavy snowfall. Because if you have light snowfall, 
even even if you have colder summers it's still going to melt okay so you need those two things for an ice age and mike ord he's a creation researcher he's a former meteorologist for the national weather service and we call him mr ice age because he has come up with a really really good explanation for the ice age and uh, since we're you know we've got this cute little acrostic to help you try to remember the key points it's kind of surprising but you need heat for an ice age and the h stands for hot oceans now uh, what i want to show you next is a clip from our dvd series unlocking the mysteries of genesis where Larry Vardaman, uh, he's a former research scientist, scientist at ICR. He's an atmospheric scientist. He recently retired, but he's explaining how uh, what he calls rapid seafloor spreading could contribute to an ice age. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and show you this little clip here. When the heat came up from the plates in the oceans, it caused the oceans to become very warm, and it would be like a giant El Nino effect. Well, can you imagine if the oceans were 20, 30, 40 degrees warmer than they are today? We would expect all kinds of severe weather, gigantic hurricanes, which I call hypercanes, and this would produce all kinds of evaporation into the atmosphere, which could then come out as snow in polar regions and on mountaintops. I've modeled that with conventional models with a sea surface temperature hotter than we would normally experience today. When that happens, these models predict much, much greater precipitation rates, particularly in the polar regions and on mountaintops. And we can explain the ice age in less than 500 years simply by the warmth of the ocean. Okay, so he mentioned plates moving apart. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But basically, he thinks that for somehow you got really hot oceans. And as a result of that, you get a lot of evaporation. That's what the E stands for. And that puts all this moisture into the atmosphere, and that gives you more snowfall. Okay, now that's part of the explanation, but again, you still have to keep that snow from melting. Okay, so how do you keep it from melting? And that, that's what the A stands for. The A is aerosols. Now, aerosols are little tiny particles or droplets, and when you have big explosive volcanic eruptions, especially ones that are rich in sulfur dioxide, they put these aerosols up into the atmosphere, uh, e even up into the stratosphere, and they reflect a lot of sunlight, and that gives you cooler summers. Okay, we've actually seen this. You have a bunch of eruptions in the 20th century where there was a noticeable drop in global temperatures after these big eruptions. And, of course, like I said, those aerosols end up in the stratosphere, and so they give you this cooling effect during the summer, it, now interestingly, it doesn't really affect winter temperatures that much, but it cools, it gives you cooler summer temperatures. And so, you know, that sounds pretty reasonable, right? That sounds like a fairly straightforward explanation. Okay, you have a lot of precipitation, you keep it from melting. So if there was an ice age, and we know of conditions that could cause an ice age, then why is an ice age a mystery to secular scientists? Well, it's because the conditions are not uniform. Remember, they've got a philosophy of uniformitarianism, and that means you can't have anything really out of the ordinary. Uh, what, the heating of the oceans, okay, that's great, but how on earth do you do that? That would take an outrageous amount of energy to raise the temperature of the oceans like that. I mean, it just a huge amount of energy. Likewise, the volcanic cooling, well, that sounds good. The problem with that, volcanic cooling only lasts for a few years, and then the aerosols settle out. 
So if you're going to use this, you need not just one or two eruptions. You need a whole bunch of eruptions repeatedly to keep those cooler summers going. And uh, this is where the T comes in. This is time. And what I'm going to argue here is that the Bible's time scale, especially the short time scale, is what makes this work. You see, both creation and secular scientists agree there was an enormous amount of volcanic activity in Earth's past, a frightening amount of volcanic activity. And both creation and secular scientists would agree that those volcanic eruptions can give you a cooling effect during the summer. So why then can't secular scientists use these volcanoes to explain an ice age? Well, it's because they insist those eruptions were separated by millions of years. And so any cooling effect you would get is going to be so diluted it doesn't do anything. Okay, does that make sense? If for this to work, the eruptions have to occur close together in time. So does the Bible give us a clue? Well, yes, it does. You can probably already guess what that clue is. And it's the Genesis flood. We read in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, that on that day, the day the flood started, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And that implies a lot of volcanic and tectonic activity. And most creationists think that plate tectonics played a major role in the flood. Okay, so when you see that mid-ocean ridge on the ocean floor, we're saying that's not evidence for millions of years. That's a scar from the Genesis flood. And one of the leading experts in this field, maybe the leading expert, is Dr. John Baumgartner. He's a creation scientist, and he's done some very impressive work doing computer models showing how plate tectonics, what he calls catastrophic plate tectonics, played a major role in the flood and in this view it's not the slow gradual continental drift you learned about in high school or college it is a rapid movement of the plates and because the plates are moving rapidly you have new seafloor that's being formed very rapidly so you have all this hot material lava basically coming up at the mid-ocean ridge that greatly warms the world's oceans and that's going to give you the warm oceans you need for the increased evaporation. So the flood can give you the warmer oceans, but can it also provide volcanic activity for many years? And we think the answer is yes. Okay, remember, there was a huge amount of volcanic activity during the flood, particularly toward the end of the flood. But even after the flood comes to an end, that volcanic activity is not going to come to a screeching halt. Okay, you know, the earth is still reeling from this cataclysm, so you're going to have volcanoes that continue to go off hundreds of years after the flood, okay? And they're going to gradually diminish in intensity, but they're going to put more aerosols up into the atmosphere, and that's going to give you the cooling you need for many years to get an ice age, okay? So sort of, sort of to summarize here, remember the heat is the little acrostic you can use to remember this. You have hot oceans because of the rapid seafloor spreading. Uh, that causes a lot of evaporation. You have all this evaporation coming from the sea surface that puts all this moisture into the atmosphere, so you get a lot of snowfall. You have these volcanic eruptions occurring. Those put aerosols, these little droplets and particles, up in the atmosphere. Those reflect sunlight. That gives you the cooler summers to keep the snow and ice from melting. And ultimately, it's this, the Bible's short time scale that makes this work. 
So basically, the Bible gives us a good overall explanation for an ice age. And hopefully that little acronym heat uh, will help you remember those key points. By the way, the Bible also helps us explain past climate change. Uh, remember, we would have had much more snowfall during the Ice Age, but it's not going to be just snowfall. It's going to be rainfall. Okay, so A lot of that moisture is going to come out as rainfall, and we know that areas that today are extremely dry and arid once received abundant rainfall. The Sahara Desert didn't used to be a desert. It got abundant rainfall. It was lush. It had all this vegetation. People lived there. And, of course, this is consistent with increased uh, water, increased uh, precipitation or rainfall during the Ice Age. Also, the, today, the American Southwest is very dry, very arid. But it wasn't always that way. There are these things that they call pluvial lakes that are not there today. This is what it used to look like during the Ice Age. You had all these lakes. And the Great Salt Lake in Utah is actually a leftover remnant of a much larger lake they called Lake Bonville. Now, you would expect after the flood there's going to be large standing bodies of water left. And because of this increased rainfall, it's going to keep those lakes there. And they're going to stick around for a while. Uh, the Dead Sea region. Okay, today it's extremely desolate. And yet we read in Genesis that it is described as a well-watered land. And multiple places in Scripture, the land of Canaan is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And, uh, and that makes sense. If you, this, so this increased rainfall may have been contributing to the fact that the Middle East used to get a lot more rainfall than it does today. In fact, the book of Job, uh, has it's, it's one of the oldest books in the Bible, with the exception of the earliest chapters of Genesis. It has more reference to, to snow to snow ice and cold than any other book of the Bible. Now, Job lived in the Middle East, so we don't think the ice sheets came all the way down to the Middle East, okay? But he may have heard about these ice sheets, okay? Or, not only that, this could be a clue that the Middle East was getting a lot more rainfall than it is today, and maybe even snowfall. Uh, God himself, when he's speaking to Job, says from the chamber of the south, comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? Uh, so that's, you know, people ask us, well, where is the ice age in the Bible? The Bible doesn't explicitly mention it, but we think there's clues in Scripture that are consistent with the ice age. So the Bible gives us a good overall explanation for an ice age. It helps explain past climate change. And it also helps answer questions about woolly mammoths. Now, woolly mammoths are pretty cool. They're not as cool as dinosaurs, okay? But they're still pretty neat. Uh, people have questions about them. But there's a couple of things about the woolly mammoths that are very mysterious to secular scientists. First of all, we know that they lived by the millions in Siberia during the Ice Age. Now, why is that weird? Today, uh, it is very cold in Siberia, okay? And then the second question we have is, why did they become extinct? Well, how cold does it get in Siberia? Well, today, it is not uncommon for the lows to be minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And sometimes, the temperatures get so low it is colder than on the surface of Mars. 
And that's not an, you didn't mishear me, and no, that's not an exaggeration. It's bitterly cold in Siberia, and it's hard to see how could even the woolly mammoths tolerate those kind of cold temperatures. There's no way, uh, probably, that the woolly mammoths could live in Siberia today. But to make it even worse, evolutionists think it was even colder during the Ice Age. So how on earth could millions of woolly mammoths thrive in Siberia during an ice age? And even if they could somehow withstand those temperatures, where are they going to get food and drink in sufficient quantities to sustain them? Well, guess what? The Bible has a clue, we think, that helps explain this, and it's the hot oceans. Okay, after the flood, the oceans everywhere are going to be warm, not, not just at lower latitudes, but at higher latitudes. So we think the Arctic Ocean, right after the flood, it was probably warm enough that you could actually swim in it. It was quite warm. And what we know about um, warm oceans, they can have a moderating effect on climate. Now, so we think that after the flood, during most of the Ice Age, there was no Arctic sea ice. Okay, so this is kind of what it would have looked like. Uh, this is actually the department, the University of Illinois. I don't know if they did this as a practical joke or they had a computer glitch, but one day they had all the Arctic sea ice disappear from their map. Okay, this was back in 2009. So this is what you would expect. Okay, there's no Arctic sea ice there, and so we think that during the Ice Age there was no Arctic sea ice. It was not until the end of the Ice Age, as ice melted and flowed out onto the ocean, that you started getting uh, sea ice. So an example of this is Seattle. You know, Seattle has a moderate climate, but it's even farther north than New York City. Well, one of the reasons for this is because you have this warm, moist air from the Pacific coming on shore and moderating the climate. And we think something very similar to that happened during the Ice Age. So it was still cold in Siberia during the Ice Age, but it wasn't anywhere as cold as it is today. And so it was tolerable for the mammoths and that's how they could live in Siberia during the Ice Age. Now remember, we said in this talk, we're going to see examples of how their belief in millions of years is tripping up the evolutionists. What I just told you sounds like a really simple explanation, right? So why can't evolutionists use that explanation to explain why woolly mammoths could live in Siberia during an Ice Age? Well, because of their belief in millions of years. They believe... The Arctic sea ice has been there for at least 100,000 years. So, you know, the mammoths, according to them, they went extinct maybe around 11,000 years ago. So if you believe them, they would have had to have endured like 90,000 years of bitterly cold temperatures that are colder than what we've got today. Well, that just doesn't work, okay? But if you accept the Bible's short time scale, you've got a very straightforward explanation for how the mammoths could live in Siberia. So what happened to them? Well, we think that at the end of the Ice Age, it's kind of ironic, but the climate actually got worse. Uh, it got very, when, when all that ice melted and flowed out on the Arctic Ocean, you no longer had that moderating effect, so you're, it's going to get really cold in the northern latitudes. And we think that that basically, they, the mammoths were overcome by those colder temperatures. Uh, and also, as a result of those colder temperatures, you're, you know, if you do the meteorology, you're going to get very strong winds. We think things were drying out at the end of the Ice Age, and we think there were enormous dust storms, and the woolly mammoths, a lot of them got buried alive. They were, they were covered in dust, suffocated, 
and then the, the dust froze around them, which is why you find a lot of these woolly mammoth remains in these frozen hills of windblown silt. If you'd like to read more about this, we have an article on our website called The Bible Best Explains the Ice Age, and it talks, it talks about the woolly mammoths and also how the Bible gives a good overall explanation for the Ice Age. Uh, finally, okay, the question is, uh, what about these ice sheets, the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets, and what about these ice cores? Do the ice cores really prove an old Earth? Well, you've got these very thick ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica. I mean, they're thousands of meters thick. And some secular scientists will claim that these ice cores are an unanswerable argument for an old Earth because they claim that they have identified, for instance, uh, in some cases, more than 100,000 yearly layers. They supposedly just counted them. And so in their minds, that's a really strong argument for an old Earth. Well, it turns out it's not quite that simple. Uh, most, if you're looking at... Uh, most of the time, they use theoretical age models to date the ice cores. And the reason for that, a lot of times you cannot see visible layers, or at least not consistently, so they can't really count them. So they, they need these age models to assign ages to the ice. And guess what? Those age models assume millions of years. Okay? And this is especially true for the Antarctic cores. So Explaining the vast ages they assign to the Antarctic cores is almost trivial. Okay? Their age models assume millions of years, so they spit out these vast ages. But what about Greenland? Now, Greenland, at first glance, would seem to be a much stronger argument for an old Earth because you can see bands in the ice in Greenland, and you should be able to count them, at least in theory. And so one biblical skeptic claims that one particular ice core in central Greenland, they call it the GISP2 ice core, he says it's the ultimate proof against a global flood. And, it, and really, he means it's also an ultimate proof against a young earth. He claims this, this proves uh, the earth cannot be young. All right, well, so let's look at this in a little more detail. Uh, you know, the, the, the secular scientists assign ages down to a depth of about 2,800 meters. Now, they actually went lower than that, but they didn't think they could accurately date it below a depth of 2,800 meters. Now, the top half of the core, oh, by the way, by the way, they assigned an age of 110,000 years to that depth at 2,800 meters. Now, <clears throat> the top half, they counted visible layers. You could actually see these bands in the ice, and so they counted them. But it's not as easy as people think. Most people are under the impression that you have one layer of ice per year or maybe two layers, one in the summer, one in the winter. It's not that simple. You have multiple layers deposited per year and the number of layers can vary from year to year. So what they have to do is they have to guess about how many layers should be grouped together and counted as a year. Now, it's an educated guess, but it's a guess, okay? So that's how they dated the top half of the core. Now, with that in the back of your mind, let me ask you a question. What age do you think they assigned uh, to that depth? Anybody want to just throw out a number? Don't be bashful. 50, okay, 55,000 or, I'm sorry, 55,000, okay. We got a 55,000. Anybody want to go higher or lower? It's like the price is right, right? 25,000, okay, somebody went lower. Anybody else? 90,000, okay, 
this is going to shock you, but the age they assigned was just 9,300 years. <laughs> now, to put that in, okay, now remember, they're claiming the ice down at the bottom is 110,000 years old. Now, to put this number in perspective, we creationists think that ice is around 4,000 years old. Okay, so what is it? It means they're overcounting, but, but not by that much. The creation and secular age estimates are pretty close, at least within a factor of two or three, in the upper half of the core. So what that means is nearly all of that alleged time is in the bottom half of the core. So if you want to really understand why they're getting these vast ages, you've got to understand how they dated the bottom half of the core. And what for the bottom half of the core, what they did, they counted dust peaks. Now there's a seasonal dust cycle. Okay, where the amount of dust goes up in the spring and summer and goes down in the winter. And so they assumed, point, I mean, they said point blank, they assumed every time they saw a peak, that was a spring-summer seasonal cycle. Well, there's lots of problems with this. First of all, individual snowstorms can cause the dust to change. Okay, and to put this in perspective, we creation scientists think that in, in an ice age, lasting 500 years you could conservatively expect thousands maybe tens of thousands of individual snowstorms okay so you've got that on top of this seasonal cycle not only that but the dust in the bottoms of the cores it, it's very erratic it just jumps around okay in fact the dust in the bottom halves of the core can be anywhere from three to a hundred times what you have in the top halves of the core and so here we actually have plots of dust uh, from the one on the left is from Antarctica. The one on the right is from Greenland. And that little horizontal dashed line, that's supposed to be where the ice age ends and the recent ice starts. You see what happens to the dust when you get there? Okay, very little dust, but then when you get down to what they call the Holocene, all of a sudden the dust just jumps up and it's jumping around all over the place. Okay, now why is that a problem if you're trying to count dust peaks. Okay, here's the problem. A lot of times you can't see the dust peaks with the eye. Sometimes they have to use a laser uh, to, to, to measure the dust. Okay, they, they have something called laser light scattering. And you typically need about four or five measurements to see a dust peak. So let's say you're, you're measuring dust in a core and you see something like this. Okay, now let me, let me just ask you a simple question. How many peaks do you see right there? Two, right, real easy, right? <laughs> okay. Well, most people are seeing two, okay? Um, now, well, no, there's just two. There's two, okay? Uh, now, why, now, why is it that the number two leaped out at you? Okay, it's something so obvious you might not even think of it. It's because there is a very well-defined background, okay? There's a baseline, and so it's very obvious when it jumps up and down, Okay? The problem is, is in these cores, you don't have a well-defined background. Okay, the dust jumps around. So how many spikes do you have here? I don't know. <laughs> okay, you see, because is this the background? Is that the background? You see, when you don't, when you have a, when the dust is jumping around like that, it is much harder to count peaks because you don't know what the background is supposed to be. Okay, and that makes this much, much harder. Also, when you're counting peaks, it's subjective because how close together do you make your measurements? You need about four or five measurements to see a peak. The problem is 
you can make those measurements as close together as you want. And the closer together you make them, the more detail you're going to see. So am I seeing detail because that's actually an annual peak or is it just a short-term blip that I'm mistaking for an annual peak, okay? And see, again, you know, look here. You see these spikes on the left. If, and those measurements were not made very close together. What if they had made a bunch of measurements that were really close together? You're going to see even more stuff. You're going to see more detail and you're going to naturally start counting more peaks. And so... Also, you know, should a small peak be counted as a seasonal change or not? Okay, so you've got all these things that are contributing together uh, to these high counts. And so we don't think this is a very strong argument for an old earth, uh, despite what the secular scientists say. If you'd like to read more about this, we've got a section on our website that deals with the ice cores. Uh, and so really, it's pretty easy to, you know, we, we think we can... We, 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 we've answered them. We don't think they have a strong argument for millions of years. Now, could you get thick ice sheets, though, in just 4,500 years? Because remember, if there were any ice sheets in the pre-flood world, they would have been destroyed in the flood. So that means, biblically, you've got 4,500 years for these ice sheets to form. Could you do it in 4,500 years? Yes. Even the secular scientists admit that even with today's relatively low snowfall rates, you could conceivably get an ice sheet forming in around 10,000 years, maybe a little bit more than that. Okay, but remember what we're arguing. We're arguing that because of these warm oceans, you had much more snowfall. And so that's going to bring that number down so that you can form it within the 4,500 years that you have since the flood. Okay. So uh, hopefully this talk has been an encouragement to you. We can make better sense of the Ice Age than secular scientists can. And uh, by the way, there's, there, we see evidence of a lot of volcanism in these ice cores. Uh, secular scientists said uh, that in that Greenland core, they counted hundreds of large volcanic eruptions in the Ice Age part of the ice. Now they think that ice was deposited over 100,000 years, right? So if you have 100 eruptions, what, that's one every thousand years you know big deal but what if all that was deposited in four or five hundred years then you've got a potent cooling mechanism for an ice age okay so uh, i hope this has been an encouragement to you mike ord often asked the question look uniformitarian scientists cannot explain the ice age which is the most recent major geological event in earth history now if they can't explain that why should we believe any of these other stories they're telling us Okay, they just don't have a good explanation. And the Bible really is the key to understanding Earth history. So we've got some resources here to um, help you with this. Uh, we, the, we have the DVD that I mentioned earlier, as well as the booklet. The booklet deals mainly with the ice cores. So if you have a friend who thinks ice cores prove an old Earth, you need to get that booklet. And the DVD deals mainly with the Ice Age. And it, it's, it's not identical to this talk, but it has a lot of the same information that this talk had. And we've also got the Global Flood, which is a really nice illustrated book that gives you the scientific and biblical reasons the flood was a true global flood, not a local flood, as some Christians say. Uh, we may be out of these, but this is The Young Earth. It's a great book. Got, got, got a lot of nice illustrations. In fact, my dad is not a scientist, but he said he could, he could follow the arguments here. So this is a good, easy-to-understand argument for uh, a Young Earth. We've got these books that deal... Uh, creation basics, guide to creation, creation basics and beyond, guide to creation basics. They give you a good overview of these topics. And we've run out of these, but we have the Unlocking the Mysteries of Genesis series. 
And as I said earlier, we've got some sections on our website that deal specifically with the ice age and the ice cores. And uh, you need to sign up for Axon Facts if you haven't. By the way, one of the Axon Facts out there, the one that has that lizard on it, we've got a new argument that these ice cores are young. And it's in that edition of Axon Facts. So you need to be sure to grab one of those. And uh, that way you can keep up with the latest developments. Okay? And uh, so anyway, I, I think that's all I've got. Does, uh